Tickets are now on sale for Humane Unmade's exploration of how AI will affect the media and marketing industry. Go to humane.au, that's H-U-M-A-I-N dot A-U, to secure your ticket today. Start the week with Unmade. Setting the agenda for the week in media and marketing. Today, tax cuts for the TV networks... A new Twitter clone for Meta. And new startup Sire makes some hires. Unmade. It's Monday, May 22nd. I'm Abe Beauty, and good morning, Tim Burrows. Good morning, Abe. How do we find you on this fine morning? Well, you find me very fine, actually. I was a, I was a quiz master at my kid's school on Saturday night, so I'm uh, full of knowledge. Tim, did you know that Henry VIII had three wives whose name was Catherine? Um, I suppose deep down, maybe I did. Um, certainly I can pretend I did now. I think it's uh, when you go to a quiz night, you pretend you knew lots of things when the answers are, uh, are shown. But uh, anyway, it was a great night. And how are you going? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Back from, I uh, had two or three days in a uh, quick trip into Melbourne, which then became a trip into Sydney for Nine's The Big Ideas store. So I uh, covered a couple of things there and uh, moderated a, a debate and uh, regular readers of Unmade will we'll see. Um, I wrote a bit about um, this question of... Um, I didn't use the phrase, but but whether media bosses are eating their own dog food when it comes to actually then advertising as well. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, it was a productive couple of days in Sydney. So uh, where should we start this week? Well, it's, it's a busy one today, Tim. Let's start with the Australian Financial Review. It says the coalition is proposing to offer a $46 million tax cut for television broadcasters to make up for the ban on betting ads. Tim? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I, um, I, I've spent the last couple of days kicking my, um, kicking myself a little bit actually, because literally as I was, uh, as I was coming out of the Qantas business lounge in Melbourne, um, Peter Dutton was just walking into the chairman's lounge and I, I, I was thinking I should have just quickly grabbed him and asked him for a little bit more on um, what the thinking was behind this one. But I must admit, I was a little bit intimidated by the glare that the uh, clearly AFP security guy just behind him was giving me. So I, 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 I let him disappear into the uh, the chairman's lounge uh, unspoken to. Um, but yeah, what has been on the um, public record for a few weeks now is that what the coalition is proposing in in pretty much i think i think this might be the actual only piece of policy that they have have committed to since going into opposition which would be to ban betting ads during live sports broadcasts and for sort of a a kind of bracket around each side of them this this idea that this should be family time now potentially this is quite expensive for the for the broadcasters which bring in something like a couple of hundred million dollars of um uh, advertising revenue um from sports advertising generally um not necessarily in those time zones although that'd be part of it um yeah what 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 is now coming out of the coalition and this is david coleman the uh, coalition's communications spokesman is that if elected the party would remove the commercial broadcasting tax which is the levy the broadcasters pay as part of their transmitter license so what that really means for the broadcasters and i presume this means both television and radio as well would mean um 
a saving for them of something like 47 million across the board. Um, but this comes against the backdrop of um, this is pretty much the last thing they're paying now for their licenses because they used to be much bigger license fees, but they were they they were um, uh, done away with during the um, the the coalition government, um, the Turnbull government, I think it was actually. Um, so, I suppose my question is. Um, once that goes, if it goes, because this is a coalition policy, remember, not a Labour policy, then um, what are the TV networks then actually giving back to the public in return for all that spectrum? It's an interesting question. And, and there's also mention of in the article of a spectrum restack. What, what exactly is that? Yeah, that that's something, and we, we 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 saw it once before when the TV networks went from analog to digital broadcasting, so we're able to use their spectrum uh, more effectively. Um, so what that then meant was that some of that spectrum could then be auctioned off by the government, you know, mainly to the telcos who had at that point 4G coming through, now obviously 5G. So there's always an appetite to use this spectrum. So the idea is if if what the TV networks are using now can be kind of shrunk what they need, then that's something that the, um, the, the government can sell off. So this is it's an interesting bargaining chip for the broadcasters because although they don't really own it, while they're kind of um, sitting on that spectrum, then the government can't sell it to somebody else. So, you know, it's, it's always struck me that when, when you're, for instance, trying to work out things like the value of Southern Cross or stereo um, and it's kind of um, regional TV licenses, which shouldn't really be worth very much at all in the long term because you know, all of that content um, is, you know, affiliate content from 10. So one day nobody will be watching that content via um, broadcast in the regions. Um, so it should be almost worth zero. But um, the one kind of bargaining chip is this potential restack. And what I find just vaguely interesting, and this is just my little conspiracy theory that noises have been going on in the background, is I was talking to the boss of a TV company about mm, two or three weeks back. And I, I was, you know, trying to explain my theories about the, the value to the TV networks and how that was a bargaining chip. And this person said, well, you know, I'm sure there will be a restack at some point. And oh, look, the word restack has just appeared in a article in the AFR today. So that says to me that somewhere behind the scenes, the networks are talking to the government about a restack. You've been accused of many things, Tim, but certainly a conspiracy theorist cannot be one of them. <laughs> but, but still on the subject of sports betting, there's an opinion survey in the Financial Review today showing that most voters are in support of banning gambling ads. Yeah, so this was a a, 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 a question posed in um, a, a poll um, commissioned by AFR and Freshwater, and their question was, um, would you support a ban on sports betting ads during live matches? 70% support, 17% unsure, and only 13% oppose. So that suggests that a pretty big majority of the public would actually like to see these ads opposed. It's a move that would, would have to be angering a lot of the TV execs who who could argue it's cost it would cost sporting codes hundreds of millions in revenue. 
Do you think it might be a struggle getting a ban like this to pass with with such strong industry opposition? One of the things that governments of all stripes, coalition government, and I'm sure it'll be the same with Labour, are extremely nervous about is going toe-to-toe with organisations which talk to millions of people at six o'clock every night in the news bulletins. So, you know, I think what we look at are the sort of the givebacks that we've already talked about in the coalition policy of, you know, just magically granting a bit of a tax discount. Um, so, yeah, there is uh, there is a real politic involved when it comes to the commercial networks. You know, if there's if, if, if there's somebody that governments don't like um, picking a fight without finding a way of giving them something back, then it, it, it is the broadcaster. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if there are little kind of backroom deals made in order to get it through without opposition. Also this morning in The Australian, we've seen commercial TV network spending on children's content has plummeted. Why is that, Tim? Yeah, look, this is, I mean, anyone could have seen this coming. You know, we talk about the mm. sort of the, 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 TV networks and what you know one of the things they had an obligation for in years gone by was in return for that privilege of being able to you know effectively have mini monopolies to broadcast to uh, the the public over the airwaves they had to deliver certain things and some of this was around quotas over different types of content and the network successfully lobbied to remove the obligations around um, the proportion of content for children um, that would need to come on um, commercial television. And what do you know, since the quotas were removed, the amount being spent on um, high quality children's content or any children's content has absolutely plummeted. So it fell from more than 25 million five years ago to less than $3 million in the last financial year. That's that's a new data that's just come out from the Australian Communications and Media Authority. So you, you could absolutely have seen that coming. Um, and it kind of does, I, I think it does... F- inform a bit the kind of the conversation or the thought process when we see the current arguments about potential quotas around streaming as well and the arguments from the tv networks that actually there's no need for more quotas because everything's fine at the moment um the reason we need quotas is um because at some point if it's in the public interest and it's no longer in a commercial interest to create it then that's what quotas are for up next a new Twitter clone? Unmade. Yet another new Twitter clone is set to hit the market in coming months, Tim, but is this is a big one. Yeah, yeah, look, that's... Um uh, that, that, that's I suppose why it's worth talking about this one because there have been a few there's a bit of buzz around Blue Sky Social already which is the one that Jack Dorsey is involved in um, I think we probably talked previously about Substack Notes which you'll you'll find us um, as I'm made playing with a little bit so this is Meta's latest sort of push into this space hasn't hasn't launched yet but a few sort of screenshots of the um, early uh, uh, early versions, early designs of it are beginning to emerge. Um, US journalist Leah Haberman has um, has shared some. Um, so the idea is is building on Instagram, really. 
um, but more text based. So, you know, you'll have seen that for lots of media owners who are on Instagram, it's super fiddly how they share their content. They'll sort of share an image with a headline and then you have to click on the bio in order to, to, to then find the matching image and click on that and you'll eventually end in the story. So you've, you've got to be a pretty, um, a, a, a pretty keen consumer. Um, so I can see that that's the argument for particularly media owners, I think, leaning into this. Um, the argument against is that usual one when it comes to Meta, owner of Facebook, owner of Instagram, is the sheer number of times it seems to do something nice for media owners and has then just pulled the rug at the last moment, um, you know, when it suits it to do itself. So... Um, you know, I think the lesson for, for anyone who, who gets involved in this new platform is um, go in with care. So what will, what will content moderation and, and community guidelines standards look like on this Twitter 2.0? <laughs> and I'm sure it would annoy Elon Musk enormously for it to be called, uh, referred to as uh, Twitter 2.0. I think the main thing is... Um, better moderation than is going on on Twitter these days. You know, there has been a lot of justifiable criticism over the years for the sort of content and disinformation that used to go out, you know, and to a certain extent still does on Facebook in particular. But at least there are policies in place. There's moderation in place. Um, Whereas Twitter has become far more of a kind of free for all. So we, we, we don't yet know what the guidelines and standards are going to be, but I'd be willing to bet that they're safer than whatever is going on on Twitter at the moment. Up next, new startup Sire makes more hires. Getting on to some local journal news, business media startup Sire has continued its poachathon. Tim, announcing more journalists have joined their ranks. Who are the journos set to join Sire, Tim? Yeah, so this one is uh, appears in the Australian Financial Review today. Of course, owned by Nine, uh, which in turn was the uh, previous uh, home employer of um, Chris Jans and David Eisman, who are the people who are doing Sire. So one has to read all of the coverage through that lens. I kind of feel sorry for the journos I have to write about this because you just know that all the tiers of management at that their, their end are looking at uh, every word that gets written. And I... I, I do detect a, a a certain tone in the piece suggesting that, you know, just maybe size si not going quite as well or quite as cleanly as one, one, one might have thought. The, uh, the intro former Nine Entertainment executive turned media entrepreneur Chris Jans has spent months calling and meeting the country's top journalists in a bid to lure them to join his generational startup Sire. He hopes to emulate the success of North American public, uh, publications like Puck, Semaphore and The Information and has been desperate to find reporters to do so, which all is, I think, slightly loaded way of saying they're, um, they're suggesting it's been harder than he might have thought. Um, and But it sort of says it seems he's finally uh, found some success. Talking about um, the Sun-Herald and Sunday Ages um, political correspondent Anthony Galloway going across along with... Um, uh, Philip Wen from the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, 
speculating about one or two others um, and making the point that John McDuling, um I really must find out whether I pronounce it McDuling or McDulling because I feel like I, I I say this every single time we mention his name um, has come across as to, 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 to lead the empire um, uh, the editorial side of things anyway um, and again that sort of loaded language um, continues as they talk about the five people so far ruling over an empire of five men all of whom have worked for nine Fairfax so you you can see that there's a a little bit of it's beginning to become a little bit personal already between the organizations I think um, but yeah certainly what is interesting is it, it it does feel like you know the launch of Sire which as far as I can tell is sort of positioning itself in the kind of general news and business space um it will be a, the biggest launch since the guardian 10 years ago which um i've just recorded a podcast with a couple of um uh, guardian executives which we'll be publishing later this week um and that that was probably the last really big success story of the of, of, of the decade just gone of something launching at scale um the interesting thing will be whether sire does find it as easy peeling off journalists this time round, whereas the Guardian actually, you know, there were a lot of disaffected Fairfax journalists in particular out there at the time. So, um, so yeah, so we'll see. So what's the likelihood of them poaching any more top talent from the big Australian mastheads? How many people do you think would be keen to jump ship to Sire, Tim? Well, one of the things I've been enjoying recently is looking in those those little announcements you sometimes get on page two of the newspapers of staff promotions, and there do seem to be, have been a little run of them in in certainly uh, in the uh, in the nine newspapers and the uh, the News Corp newspaper. So it does feel like the executives are wise to the fact that Sire are out there hiring at the moment and are uh, moving to lock in the, some of their key talent. So. I imagine that uh, even even journalists who don't come across already have Sire to thank for some pay rises. And still on the topic of journalism, the Walkleys Foundation has been slammed after accusations it's dismissing the work of production journalists. Tim, why are the Walkleys facing so much backlash now? Yeah, so this is a story that's in The Australian this morning. Um, as you say, the headline, Walkleys slammed for scrapping award for best headline which was always this kind of odd thing where it was recognition for the subs, the people who, who write the headlines, um, because, you know, a really good, clever headline absolutely can make people read, um, you know, the, uh, along with all of the other kind of production arts that make something readable. So you, you sort of, you know, what what people don't always realise from the outside is is the way that articles are structured, you know, they're not always exactly as the journalist wrote in the first place. Sometimes, you know, the, the intros have been tightened up to, 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 to bring the reader in. As I say, the headlines have been tightened, all of those things. So there, there is a very real production skill. And there was this one category of the Walkleys to recognise that. Now, the downside of that was that what used to win always seemed to be puns. So, you know, it would it would be, you know, like headlines like Voyage of the Crammed or Tired and Emotional. Um, so it was it, it, it was things which, yes, they were kind of punny. Um, hey, look, I think um, uh, my favourite ever headline came from um, a, a UK newspaper, um, which was um, 
super Cali go ballistic Celtic are atrocious, <laughs> which was a sporting headline, which is an all time classic. Um, but not, uh, you know, but not, always, not, not always the case. Um, as good as that. Um, but I think the thing that, which, which actually broke the system came pretty much this time last year, Cam Wilson, um, a very entertaining journalist from Crikey, who writes about the media and marketing world. Um, he spotted that the, uh, the Walkley's headline category was, was effectively hackable, um, including that it allowed, um, it allowed this award for tweets. So just in the, the, the few minutes before the midline midnight deadline for entry, he just wrote three punny tweets about articles he'd previously written and managed to get himself shortlisted as a result of that, thus proving that the whole thing was a bit silly. So I, I think that was what led to the kind of decision to retire the production category. Up next, what's next for Q&A? So, Tim, as we close out the podcast, we saw a flurry of controversy surrounding Stan Grant's decision to step back from the ABC over the weekend. What's happened? Yeah, this one goes back to um, not just the coronation, but I suppose the uh, death of Queen Elizabeth, where um, Stan Grant um, uh, famously, and I suppose arguably Australia's most high-profile journalist of an Indigenous background, talked about how at the time of the death of Queen Elizabeth there there wasn't enough recognition of how First Nations people might feel about all of this. Um, now the ABC did um, attempt to kind of acknowledge that or course correct by running a, um, a, a, a piece of programming on the day or the in Australia the evening of the coronation of um, King Charles sort of discussing the place of colonialism in Australia um, and, um, and 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 there was backlash to that. You know, in 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 the main, the key criticism of the ABC was that this was just a strange programming decision on the night when people are tuning in to see the pomp and circumstance of the coronation ceremony itself. Um, the 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 outcome of that though was um, and often, particularly on on social media, and often kind of racist backlash towards Stan Grant for his part in that program. And of course, you know, he was asked to contribute to that program. So if there was a criticism to be made, it should have been of those making the programming decisions, not those who were on air as talent. But uh, uh, yeah, over the, um, the, the, the weekend or at the start of the weekend, Stan Grant went public with the fact that that's all become too much for him. So he's stepping back as host of Q&A. So uh, one of the uh, one of the potential replacements mentioned in the article was Patricia Carvelis, uh, and given her her breakfast ratings on Radio National are tanking, could she do anything to save Q and A's ratings? Yeah, so this is um, this this is a piece in um, Media Diary today in the Australian suggesting that PK Patricia. Carvelis is one of the people in the frame to stand in, at least in the short term. And what's not clear at the moment is whether Stan Grant plans to come back after a break or not. Um, I, I think actually the same issue comes up to the one I just alluded to. 
um i i have a sense that the 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 problems with the audience for radio national and um that's not necessarily down to the presenter so i i'm not sure that the radio national ratings are a signal either way on whether pk would be right for q a well, that's it for today. We'd love to hear what you think at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And Tim reads them all. We will be back tomorrow with Choose Data, tackling how FMCG ad spend is weighing up in a soaring cost of living. Don't forget, tickets are now on sale for Humane, Human Creativity times AI. Find out how AI will change the media and marketing world. Go to humane.ai. That's H-U-M-A-I-N dot A-I. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.